So um, before we, we go into the talk, uh, let's, let's open our time together with prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you save us um, from death to life. Lord, we thank you that you forgive us of all of our sins, that you uh, accept us as righteous in your sight, you adopt us into your family, and you preserve us for glory. But also, Lord, we thank you that you save us uh, from, from being spiritual orphans into a spiritual family. And you also save us in the midst of our families so that the grace of the gospel might begin to permeate into our families. Uh, that you have promised from the very beginning that you would be God to us and to our children after us from generation to generation for all eternity. And one of the ways in which you call us to do that, Lord, is through family worship, through, the, through family religion. And so I pray that you would bless this talk, you would bless those who hear, and you would bless me as I give it. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you, you call us, you know, through Jesus, when Jesus said, allow the children to come to me, that as parents we can do that through times such as this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, I, let, me, let me read to you a few scripture verses, um, and, uh, and I'll jump into our topic this evening. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along if you'd like. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, the first uh, four verses. Uh, this is um, part of Paul's practical application of the gospel to, to various kinds of relationships. And here we have part of the household rules, the household applications in these first, verse, first four verses. Here now the reading of God's holy word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is the reading of God's holy word. You know, in the book of Joshua, in the book of Joshua, as the, as the uh, people of, of Israel are about to cross over into the promised land, and, uh, and this is already after uh, Jacob, uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb had already come back and they, you know, they, the, the group of spies, you know, made their report to, to the people of Israel. And, and the, the group of spies said, you know, they've got walls that, that go up into heaven. They're giants and we are but grasshoppers in the land. And everyone's just scared out of their mind and they're getting angry. And, uh, and Joshua and Caleb are like, we can do this. The Lord is with us. We can fight them. If the Lord is with us, who can be against us? And, and they were the ones who knew what to do by faith. And the people of Israel uh, wanted to turn back. And, um, and the, Lord, the Lord brought, brought a punishment upon the people of Israel for, for rejecting that. Um, but then, you know, uh, many years later, as Joshua and Caleb are about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, Joshua gives this great speech uh, to the people of this, this new generation, the people of Israel, 
uh, in Joshua 24, and let me read them to you. He puts, uh, he puts a choice be- before the people of God. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in e- and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes, serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But Joshua says this, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Throughout redemptive history, there, this has been the battle cry of all of God's people to choose each and every day to serve the Lord as a household, as a family. And tonight I, I want to talk about family worship. This is one of the tangible, practical ways in which each day a family chooses to serve the Lord. So I want to answer some of the questions like, what is it? What is family worship? You know, why do we do it? Why is it important? Why, why, why should we do it as, a, as part of our, our, our faith and of our, our, uh, uh, of our lives? And as I give my talk, um, again, I'm indebted to my mentor, Terry Johnson, who wrote uh, one of the, the most important books, I think, in, uh, you know, to, to revive um, family worship among, uh, in, in Christian families, entitled um, uh, The Family Worship Book. And he, not, he, uh, he graciously and pastorally encouraged me during my internship with him to uh, minister to my family, that if I learned to minister to my family, to my children, to my wife, I can, I can faithfully also then minister to, to my flock, to, to the people, to the families, to the children, to the husbands and wives under my charge, and, uh, and, and I, can be, I can be a blessing to the people. So most of my remarks this evening arise from his book and, and my my own experiences with him, but also the things that I've learned over the years with my own family. And so my, my own daughters are just kind of getting ready to like, you know, like, oh, dad, you know, what are you going to say? And so hopefully these will be good, you know, people will, people will be like, you know, thumbs up. Um, so, so what is family worship? What is family worship? Family worship is the worship of God done by a family, a household. It's the first church ordained by God to worship him. This is what we see in the early chapters of Genesis. God created humanity in Adam and Eve as the first parents of humanity, as a great family, um, as the first family unit, and they were created to worship and to serve the Lord and to have fellowship with him. That's what, what Genesis 1 and two is that they, they were able to talk and commune with the Lord, to glorify and enjoy Him. And it's through then the, the subsequent families that, they were, that, that God had, was going to use through Adam and Eve to be not only one family, but to be many families to worship the Lord. And then uh, after the fall, things were broken, but the Lord redeemed not only Adam and Eve and, and promised that Jesus would come, a seed of the woman who would come and, and, and crush the head of the seed of the serpent, but he also redeemed the first family 
and through families, the Lord would, would bring grace and redemption. Um, and then uh, in, in, in Genesis 4, after Seth came into the picture, after, um, you know, uh, as uh, Cain, um, uh, Cain killed Abel, Seth came, and then Enosh, and then Genesis 4.26 says, At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so, so the beginning of family religion, of family worship, were, was done through, through individual family units. There wasn't a large church during this time. Um, God preserved Noah and his family, right? I mean, you know, before, during, and after the flood, there was the, the first worship service after the flood was was a family worship service with Noah at the, at the head. Um, then, through, then going on through the patriarchs, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their families. They worship the Lord. Um, God commanded Abraham to, uh, Genesis 18, 19 says, command, he commanded his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, God commanded by law that families worship the Lord to teach the commandments to your children, the Lord said through Moses. The psalmist says that they should teach the praises of the Lord to their children so that each generation should arise and tell them to their children that, he, that they should put their confidence in the Lord. That children, one of the most important things that you can learn from, your, from mom and dad is to worship the Lord, to know the Lord, to pray to the Lord, to sing to the Lord, to read His Word together. Um, and, uh, and when Joshua challenged the people of Israel to choose whom they will serve, at the heart of his call was to serve the Lord, each with their household, each in their families, to their wives, their children, their servants, from one generation to the next. And then that, that was supposed to be throughout the, all of the Old Testament. And then transitioning into the New Covenant, this was how Jesus learned the Scriptures and worshipped the Lord, uh, you know, as the Messiah. That He became the true, the true child who grew up in the nurture and discipline and admonition of the Lord. The first and true disciple who, who uh, honored mother and father by following the Lord. Um, and this was why um, parents not only came to hear Jesus teach, but brought their children to Jesus for a blessing. That in many ways, this is what family worship is, that, that we as a family bring our whole families to the Lord in worship. And, uh, and, it is, and they had a, a covenantal understanding of God's relationship as household and family. That, that if there's anything that describes what our families are and ought to be, it's always, it always ought to be in relationship to we are a family that worships the Lord. You know, when I was growing up, um, you know, coming, coming from an immigrant family, you know, I didn't grow up at the beginning, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but when my family started to convert, there was, there was palpable differences between other, peop, other Korean people in our community. And, uh, and I didn't notice this until the first time I went to, back to Korea to visit my family, that, that uh, most, the majority of my family was Buddhist or Confucian or, or you know, 
uh, Korean kind of folk religion, you know, ancestor worship. And, and that was the first time that I realized that, that I came from, a, from a, a Christian family where these things were not done. That, that part of my identity was, was as a member of, of a Christian home and, and I knew from, from the depths of my heart that that, uh, that was not what my parents taught, grew, raised me to do and taught me. And, um, and that we all ought to have part of that be a part of ide- our identity. And then God calls families into relationship with him for the purpose of worship. Uh, even after Pentecost, Peter baptized Cornelius, the Philippi- Philippian jailer, and Lydia, and their households. This is why many of you young people were, you may not have remembered it, but your parents wanted to give you to the Lord because you belong to the Lord, that, that you are a gift to, the, to your parents from the Lord. And so what they did is they baptized you. Um, they separated you from all the other children of the world to belong to the Lord. And so, so your parents want to raise you up to know the Lord because you belong to the Lord. And, um, and this is why, you know, Paul could refer to Timothy being raised by his godly grandmother and mother in the faith. This is why Paul exhorts parents to raise their children in the nurture and admonition, the discipline and the, nur- and the nourishment of the Lord as an act of worship and discipleship. And why throughout church history, from the early fathers to the medieval church to the Reformation to today, that worship to be done in line with the whole of Scripture, that he saves individuals, families, and through families. And, and so, so family worship is, is where, where God meets us as a small church within the home, the first church as, as part of the created uh, order. order. And it is through, through families that people grow up to know the Lord. So let me go into what the elements of family worship is. What, what, is what, what makes family worship worship? It's the regular worship of God by a family unit that is comprised of, that includes the regular use of scripture, songs, prayer, usually led by the, the head of the household, but it can also include everyone else. Um, so worship is fundamentally comprised of reading, singing, reading, praise, and prayer. Um, just a really, really basic outline. So, so first it means the regular reading and study of Scripture. And I re- recommend either reading and then some form of, of exposition or devotional uh, of the reading passage, um, you know, or, or just kind of meditating on it. And you can do that in, in, in different ways, and I'll go, th- go through that in, in a moment. It's the regular family nourishment because, you know, if man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you can think of family worship as a family meal where, where the Lord wants to feed you spiritually because if you don't eat, you won't live and you won't grow. And so your parents uh, are, are going to feed you not only regular, you know, bodily food, but spiritual food. Uh, parents, you know, you can provide for your children so many different things. You can pro- provide food, clothing, education, all of those things you can give them. But if you don't give them a regular diet, of a healthy diet of God's word, 
they're going to starve. They're going to starve spiritually. They're going to be ignorant of God's word. And so, um, let me put it this way. Um, What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? What does it profit us to give our children everything the world has to offer, but we don't give them God's word? We don't give them Jesus. We don't give them the gospel. Um, You know, uh, it is incumbent upon us as as Christian parents to, to raise them on a, on a good diet of God's grace in, in his word. And um, so it's, it also means worship through song, right? One of the most important commands of the Old and New Testaments is the command to sing to the Lord in worship. It is the most natural thing to do when we, when we worship and praise the Lord for who he is, right? To sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And what we do as a whole, we do as individuals as well as family units, right? When we gather together as a church family, that's a kind of family worship. Then when we go to the Lord personally, it's a personal worship. But we also have, we also worship together as family, as, as uh, however that family is, is compo- comprised, for example, mom and dad with kids, or or even if you're if uh, you have an extended family that lives with you, or maybe you have a, a non-traditional family, and uh, like, like let's say, you know, um, you have to move in with grandma and grandpa. You know, that's all of that is still uh, a family worship unit. And so, one of the ways that God designed our minds and our hearts to absorb and to solidify in our hearts gospel truths is to sing them. When my girls were young, we, we sang a lot to them, you know, when they couldn't sing, we sang, and then as they grew, we sang songs that they were able to sing. We, saw, we sang, Jesus loves me, God is so good, and then as they got older, we sang Psalm 23, right? The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 1, oh, greatly blessed is the man, Psalm 100. Um, and uh, we sang other scripture songs and hymns as they learned to read, um, and then thirdly, the third major element also means worshiping through prayer. And this is the way that we commune and have fellowship with God as a people. We give thanks and praise as well as giving our petitions and confessions of our sins. It's another family means of grace by which we access uh, the grace of God in our lives to come boldly to his throne of grace as a family for help in our every time of need and circumstance. When it, was, uh, when it was just Taylor and myself, we had couples devotion and time of prayer. After we had Sophia and Callie, we taught them through our own simple prayers, teaching them the Lord's Prayer, teaching them the main parts of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or if you want to do it in a different way, uh, the three Ps, right? Uh, praise, penitence, and petition, um, and they don't even have to be that long. You know, it could just be, Lord, you're you're so good. Uh, Lord, can you help us in our in our need? Uh, Lord, we we've sinned against you. Would you forgive us? And uh, and we should vary it up. You know, we would vary it up uh, all the time. Sometimes we would not have uh, extemporaneous prayers, but we would have you know a joint uh, um, uh, reciting of the Lord's prayer. 
Uh, sometimes we do round robin prayer. Um, I, and I don't know if how I don't I don't really know how OPC folks call it, but we call it like popcorn type prayer. You know, kind of round pop. You know, kind of like uh, you know people can pray as as they they uh, as they feel led at the time, or even just silent prayer, uh, or or just hearty prayers of pouring out your heart to the Lord during that family worship time. And, and most of the time, I would say that the head of the household ought to open the prayer time, let, let other people pray, and then close the time, you know, do one or the other. Uh, many times I would just pray after collecting um, requests or, or prayed for the application of what we had read and sung earlier. And so these are the three fundamental elements of family worship. And you can, you can add other, other elements such as confession of faith, like the Apostles' Creed or, or the Nicene Creed, or recite together the catechism, the shorter and larger. You know, we homeschooled, so what we would do is we would teach those things separately, and every so often we would ask, you know, uh, various questions and answers and uh, my mentor terry terry was a very strong advocate of including the catechism for family worship and he felt like it was a built-in um, bible and doctrine curriculum that helped the children in their overall knowledge of the bible and of the faith and i th and i i think that's a good way to go and we we uh we we would do that more through our homeschooling and less through our family worship but, um, but you can also include, and I think this is a very important part, uh, Bible memorization and instruction. It's all, it was really nice when the girls were, were memorizing through John 1, and so as they were memorizing it, they would read it, they would recite it for family worship. That was our reading time. And uh, when, they, when they memorized all of John 1, I was just completely amazed and blown away and and, uh, and convicted to the heart that I need to memorize the Bible more. Um, or you could take that time to memorize one verse together as a family per week uh, or, or however many times you want. So why should we do family worship? They, there are all kinds of reasons, but in addition to the biblical mandate, right, which we had just read for, for parents and, and particularly fathers to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but let me just list a few. <coughs> First, it's a practical witness to your spouse and children that God is at the center of your home and of your life. Right? Sometimes we like to say that God comes first and that Jesus is head of our home, but it's quite another to manifest that in the actual way that we live in our homes. It's a testimony to our children that Jesus is the most important person in the home. That Jesus is king, uh, over, even over daddy. You know, there were times where, um, you know, I would, we would be talking uh, and there'd be lively discussion over, over dinner or whatever, and we'd have some little disagreement or whatever, and I would say something like, yeah, I'm the head of this house. And, uh, and my daughters were like, yeah, but Jesus is head of, head of this house you know, over you, even daddy. And I'd be like, oh, who can argue with that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, uh, and it, keeps, it keeps fathers humble, too, you know. Um, 
but we, live, we ought to live and move and have our being in a life of faith and worship, especially with our family. That he becomes literally the practical center of life that, that, that we, you're, our children, I mean, the, the witness and the testimony we give to our children is we stop everything and we gather together around God's word and we worship him as a family. We adore him. We hear from him. We talk to him. We sing and praise him. That he really is a real person who lives in our house with us not only glorifies God practically, but it actually centers the life of the family around him. Um, I, I grew up in a home where my parents became Christians later in life, and we, there was, <clears throat> um, and, you know, my parents were, were uh, very, very young Christians, uh, but functionally speaking, you know, they went to church, they went to Bible studies, but functionally speaking, that was the only time Jesus was really ever mentioned in, the, in our home. And so, so me taking the, their functional message of, uh, of, uh, of ha- not having some kind of family worship or some kind of family devotion in the home told me that uh, Jesus wasn't, didn't, didn't belong in our home. And, uh, and so family worship is saying Jesus is the functional king of our home. It encourages Christian life and character when we gather in worship to lay our burdens. Reminding, we might remind ourselves to walk by faith, not by sight. To confess our sins and ask for forgiveness and to grow closer to him. And while we're at it, we grow closer to each other, right? Just like spokes in a wheel. That when, when Jesus is at the center and we all together come closer to Jesus, who else do we come closer to? One another. That there, there are no sweeter moments in the life of a family when we encourage each other in the Christian life through family worship. It binds the family together in faith and life. You know, with the fast-paced busyness and impacted schedules of the modern family at school, sports, extracurricular activities, uh, homework, Families can be very hard-pressed for actual family time. I mean, I think uh, it, it's such an interesting moment in our culture where there's actual commercials for families to just eat dinner together because the, uh, the family is, is beginning to, to, to disintegrate in so many different ways because everyone's getting pulled in different, different directions. And I, I, I think that, that, that culturally, because the... You know, our, our culture is set up against or without God within the culture. You know, one of the, one of the practical ways that, that Christian families are attacked is simply busyness, right? And, um, but if we're a, a, a Christian family, a Jesus-centered family, and we in our household will not serve the idols of our culture, Right? They're, they're family idols too. Right? I, I got to go to my, my, uh, my soccer game. And uh, so, but we will serve the Lord. We, you know, you, your children will, they will see what your priorities are by what you actually do. And if there's no priority for family worship, then, the, the, you know, what's the message that our children receive? And what's the message that that our spouses and even, even our, ourselves receive. We pass on the truths of faith to each other and to the next generation. When Peter preached at Pentecost, 
the promise of the gospel that the Lord would be God to us and to our children after us was, was uh, a fulfilling of the covenant promises from one generation to the, to the other. This is, this is the organic growth of passing on the faith from one generation to the other. This is, this is family evangelism and the Christian faith going on and on. And, uh, and it's important. It's important. How else can that happen if not through regular family worship? We pass on family stories. We pass on family lore, recipes, culture, language, traditions. And so why not family faith? A faith in Jesus Christ. Why not pass on our love for the gospel and, 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 uh, and God and Christ? We don't turn our family lineages into a superficial nominal family tradition christian tradition in name only but it ought to be a robust passing on of a rich treasure and heritage from parent to child from generation to generation so that they can learn it and pass it on to their children i was reading a biography of the uh, the guinness family i don't know if you're familiar with the guinness stout guinness beer fact family there's a chapter in a book by Stephen Mansfield called uh, God and Guinness. And there's a chapter in that book called The, the Guinnesses for God. And, uh, and Stephen Mansfield highlights the numerous members of the various generations, generation after generation that descended from the very first Guinness, Arthur Guinness, who, became, uh, uh, this, who started the Guinness beer family. And all of, and there was, there's just numerous numbers of, of descendants of Arthur Guinness who became missionaries and ministers and, and pastors' wives. From the 1750s all the way down to the present, there has been at least one Guinness preaching the gospel in the UK, in America, in Africa, or China, ever since 1750. As the beer and the beer making Guinnesses, there were like different wings of Guinnesses. There's the banking Guinnesses, the beer Guinnesses, the the uh, the godly Guinnesses, and uh, and and the wealthy banking and the wealthy beer making Guinnesses were also very godly Christians. They took really seriously their Christian vocations, and they bankrolled all the godly Guinnesses to be missionaries and ministers. And I don't know if you're familiar with Os Guinness, a public a pub, public Christian uh, uh, public theologian. He is a descendant of the Guinness family. Um, his, his parents were missionaries to China. It is, it is of this lineage that the Christian thinker Guinness, uh, Os Guinness, is from. And, and so the question is, how did they pass on such a godly heritage? Um, uh, one of their descendants, one of the, the missionaries, or one of the pastors uh, of Arthur Guinness, was considered the Moody, D.L. Moody and C.H. Spurgeon of Ireland. And there were seeds of such deep and powerful faith that were planted, they were done through family worship, Sunday Lord services, both morning and evening, as well as the charitable work for the Lord. And uh, here in, in Henry Groton Guinness's diary, he says this, talking about family worship and how it impacted him. He said this, The light of the street lamp shining in the quiet room where we sat together and the solemn and beautiful imagery of the chapter relating to the New Jerusalem seeming to shed over the scene a pure and loftier light, though but a child at the time, I think I entered more or less into my father's profound admiration, ad, admiration 
for the passage and felt with him the vibration of the soul experience, the actual communion that, uh, that we have together. And so when we, what we want to pass on to our children is that core of our family, not our education, not our cultural traditions, not, our, not necessarily our love for one another, our lineage or pedigrees, all important though they are. We want our children and our grandchildren and our descendants yet to be born that we are a family that worships the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of legacy I hope all of you will aspire to and want to. I, I think when it comes to worldly accomplishments, I think our, my, you know, our worldly accomplishments, I think, will only last maybe one, two, three generations at the most. I mean, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how many of you know your great-great-grandparents' names even. But if they passed on a heritage and a legacy of faith in Jesus Christ, their, their gift to generations after will last forever. You can look back at your grandparents who became Christians and, and then passed on the faith through family worship and in heaven you all see them and you'll say, thank you. Thank you for, for raising my grandparents and parents in the faith so that I can come to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so we not only want to pass them on, but reinforce and cement the biblical truths into their hearts and minds for life. And so what I like to do is I like to read and meditate on the passage of Scripture that I'm going to, to preach on. And maybe if, if you're not a minister, you can just, whatever your own devotions are, it could just be one little section of, of Scripture. Uh, if you have a, a one-year Bible, just maybe read, you know, one section from, from the day that that, that one-year Bible is on for schedule. Uh, and then after, um, after the Sunday morning sermon, I ask... Um, I ask my girls, what did they learn? What did God teach them from the sermon or from, from, from Sunday school? Um, or when they went to VBS when they were growing up, we would, talk, we would take each Bible truth and talk about it and chew on it and discuss it and apply it to our lives. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, you know, don't get me started on, on those catchy VBS songs because I don't know, if you, go to, if you send your kids to VBS, you'll be singing those songs in your sleep, and it'll just be earworms that you're just going to keep on digging and digging, and you can't get them out of your head. Um, we would sing them for family worship, and the girls would love singing them. Uh, family worship was when you could apply the particular truths to particular events and circumstances in the life of your family. I remember when, when Sophia and Callie had gotten into a fight, and they were totally mad at each other, and we would we gathered together for family worship. And, and that day, I think it was all in God's providence that we ended up reading about Jesus' words about anger and forgiveness. And, uh, and if you're offering a gift to the Lord and you remember that you're angry, then leave your gift at the altar, Jesus said. Go and be reconciled and then offer your gift. Or another time, they were at odds and we came across Jesus' words, Forgiving, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So you could just imagine the both girls are just angry at each other and I'm reading this passage and, you know, how can you not so your hearts be softened and be like, I'm sorry, forgive me. Um, or when we were struggling through some family issues, uh, when we had family worship, the Lord would minister to us in the reading or the song or in our prayers. 
And so we all learn that God's grace is sufficient for, for every need and circumstance. You know, and there were times when God would convict me. He would convict me of, of various sins, including anger, when I would snap at Taylor or the girls. And so I knew that I had to repent and ask them for forgiveness before or even at the moment when we have family worship. Um, not only um, for the girls, but for... They were, they were profound times of learning and transformation and change and humility and grace. Uh, there were times even when, when I would ask one of the girls a question about a passage and, and they would give an answer that would blow away uh, any seminary prof any day of the week. Like I, my jaw would just drop and be like, you know, is she only five years old and she's giving me that answer? Like, I'd never, I mean, you're just amazed. And of course, you know, out of the mouth of babes, the Lord has ordained praise. Sometimes the, uh, it, it's the childlike hearts of children that have the most profound and simple answers of who God is and, and who we are in relationship to him. And as Presbyterians, who should disciple, who should disciple our children in Christ than us? Yes, they go to Sunday school, they have youth group and midweek Bible studies, but I want to be the one who leads them to Jesus. I want to call them to repentance and faith in Christ. I want to bring them, uh, raise them up in the discipline and nurture of the Lord. I want to give them Jesus every moment that I can. I want to hear them make their first profession of faith when I ask them, if they believe in Jesus who died for their sins on the cross and rose from the grave, that if we put repent from our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and they say yes, there are tears in my eyes. We ought to be the ones who do that. What an amazing story it is when you hear of covenant children uh, coming to faith from mom and dad. Mom and dad led me to the Lord. Or, or I was led to the Lord and I put my faith in Christ during a family worship. I want to lead my wife and kids to Jesus as much and as often as I can. And the way that I do that is family worship. Because I know that I am not a perfect father or a husband. I stumble, sin, and I make all kinds of mistakes. But I'm so thankful that there. Their growth in grace, their salvation is not dependent on me. I can point them to a perfect heavenly father, a perfect husband, a perfect and loving friend and savior in Jesus Christ. And if I can do that, then I've done what I should. And I'm good. How freeing is it to do that on a regular basis for our wives, our husbands, our children? At the heart of family worship is cultivating an environment of gospel grace in which Jesus is the very air we breathe, the food we eat, the light we see by, the love we live in. In him, our families ought to live and move and have their being. So, um, so let, me, let me close with, with uh, just some practical tips for family worship. I think, I think uh, sometimes we in the OPC, we, we turn family worship into a you know, two-hour-long uh, Sunday service like six days a week, and, and that's too much. I mean, that, that's not practical. Um, so here's, here are my practical tips. Keep it short. Keep it short. Five, five, seven, ten at the most maybe, 15 if you want to go long. Um, 
Read, sing, and pray. Read the Bible, sing a, a song or a hymn, and pray. If you need to do shorter ones, you know, uh, if, if, your, if your family time is, is just really impacted, you could do one or, one or two. I mean, you could do two rather than the three. So you could read and sing or read and pray or pray and sing, any combination. But read, sing, and pray, any of those combinations, five to ten minutes at the most. Um, and then you can make one day, maybe Wednesday or something, into a longer family worship where you have question and answer. You can talk a little bit more deeper about a particular passage. You can catechize. You can, do, you can teach them um, something a little bit more in-depth, like the catechism. Make it regular. Ideally, anywhere from you know, three, to, three to six times a week. It helps to do it in the morning or at the dinner table or some regular time that the whole family is around. And as times get busier, sometimes it's more, right? Sometimes you have more when, you have, when you're less busy and sometimes it's less when you're more busy. But aim for at least you know, a few days a week, right? Don't, don't beat yourself up if you don't do it every day. Um, if, you, if you do it twice a day, if there's even just two or three days and those, you guys put that in there and do it, that's great. And there are times when, you know, I don't, our family, we don't do it every day. Like, my fellow brothers, please don't, <laughs> don't bring any charges on me. But, but we don't do it every day. We don't do it every day. We do it two to three times. And sometimes on very hard weeks, and, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say, sometimes on very hard weeks, we do it once a week. Um, but we, but every, every, we try to every day, I try to every day um, put the girls to bed and we pray together on the, you know, we, I, we, we pray at the bedside. Um, and, uh, and so make it regular, but don't make it into a law. Um, and parent, you know, kids, it, it, it's good for our kids to hear us praying to the Lord for their souls. Show them that the Bible is not some old document written 2,000 years ago, but show them that it is, it is living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword that is relevant for their thoughts and their lives, for everything in their life. When they experience the relevance and the truth and the power of God's word for them right then and there, they will, they will know the realness of God. And they will call upon his name every day of their lives. Uh, there's practical resources for family worship. And, and I have a little, um, a little uh, some books that I thought were helpful. But I'm not going to list them now. But if you want to know some of those books, you can come see me afterwards. Um, the point I want to make is that all that matters is that you have an earnest desire to worship the Lord as a family. One of the most moving and sweetest times of family worship that I have seen in, in, in a family was from a very humble, simple, hardworking South Dakota Dutch family. None of them went to college. They would spend the winters with us in Orlando. They invited us to dinner to their home. And when we finished dinner, Mr. Vandenberg, uh, one of the, the sweetest um, you know, men that I've ever known, opened up the day's entry from Our Daily Bread. He read the, the little short passage, the scripture reference there, he read that, and then he just read the little devotional entry, and he read it as if it applied to him and to us. 
to, to, to everyone else around us. And he encouraged us to grow in grace uh, and then closed us in prayer for four minutes at the most. And it was an example of one of a simple yet faith-filled time of family worship that I have remembered uh, ever since. That, um, and it's just the simple things like that done on a regular basis each day. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity to consider family worship. Father, we know that, that, um, that you save us in our household to be God to us and to our children after us from generation to generation. Help us to do that practically through family worship. Oh Lord, uh, uh, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share these things with your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.